Uh, I feel like we're, we're in part four of Happily Ever After, and I sort of feel like last Sunday I may have scared a few people away. I'm just being honest. Uh, there, you know, we, we, I think that the church should deal with some of the things we've been talking about and we've been touching and we've been talking about marriage and we've been talking about parenting. Last Sunday, we talked about honor, honor in the home, honor in marriage relationships, honor between moms and dads and husbands and wives. Uh, it's a great, uh, some great practical thoughts. I think that, uh, loved if you weren't here or you didn't listen to it, maybe take advantage of that. But also a couple of weeks ago, pastor Jim and Rob, spoke about conflict and how to handle conflict and, and the, the message is called how to fight fair if we if we're gonna find if you know you're gonna have conflict in life the Bible says where two or more are gathered conflict is in the midst of them no that's not what the Bible says that's not what the Bible says but it's true that we will have conflict in our life and certainly in our close relationships. So uh, Pastor Jim and Robin, uh, Pastor Jim, they're on sabbatical right now, but they shared uh, in that message. And then the first one was how to have red hot monogamy, red hot monogamy. Uh, that was fun. Uh, so if you want to laugh and be embarrassed all at the same time, listen to some of those uh, messages and I would sure, I, I think it will help you. I think it will encourage you. Well, today we're going to jump into uh, a message called till debt do us part, till debt do us part, and we're going to talk about money in relationship to marriage, money in relationship to marriage. The title comes from several years ago, a USA Today article that was written entitled, Till Debt Do Us Part, and the content of the article was how so many Americans have overextended themselves financially. They're living beyond their means. They're living with credit card debt. They're living with second mortgages. They're living with lines of credit. They're, they're over-mortgaged in their life, things like that. And the result that we're finding, I mean, this is USA Today. This is not a Christian organization, right? They're finding the correlation between an inability to maturely handle financial matters and divorce, in fact, in the article, it says this, this is a quote from the article, if love is the tie that binds us together, then money is the wrench that pries us apart. In fact, behind, I just looked up statistics this week, behind infidelity, money problems is the leading cause of divorce in the United States of America. It's number two, only behind infidelity. And here's the bottom line. If you don't hear anything else I say, hear this. Financial problems will always occur in your life if you ignore God's laws. If you ignore, how many of you know if you ignore the laws of God, whether they're natural laws, I mean, how many of you know we're fighting a natural law battle right now in our culture? If you ignore God's natural laws, if you ignore God's divine laws, if you ignore God's universal laws, things don't go well for you. If you go to the top of the Empire State Building believing that God's law of gravity does not apply to you, you will find yourself splat on the sidewalk. Are you with me? God's laws are laws that we must pay attention to. And he has for us, thank God, financial laws. But many Americans, and I dare say many believers, are not living after God's laws when it comes to our finances. In 2021, for instance, Indiana 
was number four in the nation in bankruptcies. For many years now, Americans have lived paycheck to paycheck, even though we live in the most prosperous nation in the world. There is nothing literally that you and I cannot do, and it's, it's like this, and it's not a political statement, but capitalism gives us the very best of the world and sometimes the very worst of the world because capitalism tends to drive us to a need for more. Because of debt and overextension of our finances for many, many years, this post-COVID inflation that we are experiencing right now is having even more dire effects on our culture and on families, particularly low-income families, than most in recent history. When we ignore God's laws, we will pay the consequences. God's laws are not nice suggestions. They're not things that we can take or leave. When we serve the Lord, we choose to yield our preferences and our desires to the things and the will of God. I shared yesterday in our men's breakfast a little bit about choosing the ways of God and why when we choose God's ways, everything works out better in our life than when we choose our ways. How many of you found that to be true? I mean, I don't know about you, but God has never messed up my life. I do that all by myself. God has fixed my life a few times, but I'm really good about getting out of line. So if we're gonna receive financial advice from the Lord, who are we gonna ask? Where in the Bible are we gonna look to find good financial advice? I don't know if you knew it or not, but Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven. Did you know that? One-sixth of the Gospels and one-third of the New Testament deal with money in some form or fashion. It is a big deal to God how we handle our finances. So today, we're going to look at the richest man who ever lived. The Bible says he was the wisest man who ever lived. Anybody care to take a guess at King Solomon's net worth in today's money? They've calculated it. I don't know how they did that. But they calculated it. Don't Google it right now because that will spoil the surprise. He's more wealthy than Bill Gates. He's more wealthy than Elon Musk. He's more wealthy than any Saudi prince. He's more wealthy than you and me all put together. His net worth is estimated to be at $2.1 trillion. $2.1 trillion with a T dollars. That just seems crazy to me. But Solomon gives us wisdom, practical things, practical principles through his writings and through his life that can give us success with money. And I want to relate it to our marriages, not just to our money, but to our marriages. But if you're single, these principles still apply to you. And if you're a young person, I want to challenge you to pay attention this morning because I'm about to give you some secrets that will set your life up for success long after you're married. Okay, so listen. So number one, I only have three points today. It may take me 45 minutes to get them, but I only got three points. Probably not. Number one, learn to be content. Learn to be content. I know, rocket science, right? I don't have very many funny jokes today, so you guys are gonna have to laugh at the normal things. 
Learn to be content. Proverbs chapter 15. It's better, Solomon writes, it's better to have a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Now, and you live a little bit of life, you find that that's true, don't you? You find out, man, when you're young, and you're like, man, I want more money, especially when you're a teenager and you have no money, you want money, and you're like, I need money, I, you know, whatever. Can you get, you know, my kids, can you give me money? No, go get a job. It's that kind of thing. But when you're younger, you want money. But how many of you know the older you get, you realize money can't buy you love? That's not, that'd be a great song. Wouldn't that be a great song? I, I think that we only have to look at the wealthy people in the world to recognize money can't buy happiness. Money certainly cannot buy joy. Now, most of you would be a little happier with some money, right? That was funny. So you would be happy if you had a little bit more money, you'd be happy. That's what we think to ourselves, but as you get older in life and you do have more money than you, I mean, I hope you, had more, you have more money today than you had when you were 15 or 16 or 12 or whatever. I hope you do. But you realize that the money does not actually bring the joy and fulfillment and happiness that you thought it would. Because money cannot deliver that kind of happiness. That's what Solomon is saying. He's saying it's better to have a great relationship with God, a great spiritual life, than to have turmoil in your life. When you're all uptight because you're so rushed to get money, better is a meal of vegetables than T-bone steak. I mean, that's what he's saying. It's better to eat beans and weenies It's in the Bible, guys. I mean, it's in the Bible. And have a happy home. It's better to eat not much and not have great, amazing meals in your life, but have a happy home and have pleasure in your life than to eat expensive food and everybody's at each other's throat because you can't afford it. I remember when we came home from Poland and, and I thought with four new kids, and so we went from four to eight kids, and I thought, how much can they eat? I mean, that's what I thought. That's not, that's not even a joke. But I thought, how much can they eat, right? Like, these are four little kids. They're little. They're still little. But that girl right there can put it away. And, and I, didn't, I didn't know that. And, you know, how many of you know my grocery budget grew a little bit? But it's better, and I, and I didn't want to be sitting, look, and I'm thankful to the Lord, but how many of you know you don't want to sit at the dinner table and like be angry at your kids because they're enjoying the meal that you provided because you bought it on a credit card and you don't know how you're going to pay it off? And Solomon's like, look, it's better to just eat beans and rice than it, and have a happy home than to always be worried and at each other's throat because you can't afford it. Wanting too much too fast. Contentment. Somebody asked Howard Hughes one time, how much money do you need to be happy? And he said, just a little bit more. But it's a misnomer, my friends. It's a lie from the enemy of our souls. If he can keep us discontented in our lives, always change. How many of you know you cannot serve God and money? Jesus was clear. He said, you must choose which one to serve because you'll either love one and hate the other or you'll hold to the one and despise the other. You can't hold on to God and hold on to money. You have to release the money to God and love God. That's the way of the, of, of the gospel. That's the way of the kingdom. 
So many of us are chasing financial dreams which are unattainable without significant sacrifice or rearranging our priorities or putting it on the credit card. And this, all, this whole thing is a great illusion because what we find as we grow older in life is that target that we thought we wanted tends to move. Oh, they came out with a new Tesla. Oh, you know, the house is getting a little bit too small. Oh, and and, then the target moves in our lives if we don't learn contentment. We overcommit. Here, here, listen to me, married people. We overcommit. Do you know that the third highest divorce rate occurs in year 25? Which makes no sense. And you think by year 25, like, we figured this out. We survived 25 years of hoo-ha and crazy things. Surely at year 25, we have figured this out. And we know, you know, what the, the number one is years one and two, and number two is years five through eight. But number three is year 25. You know why? Because we spent 25 years chasing after financial things and chasing after our children and running everywhere, and we forget that we need to know one another. And because of our desire to run after all these things in our lives and chase after whatever we have decided will bring us happiness or whatever we have decided this season requires, we wake up at year 25 and we look at one another and go, I don't know who you are anymore. And rather than leaning into our marriage, many marriages end at year 25, I'm saying don't Be so discontented with the place in your life that you wake up someday. It doesn't matter if it's your 8, 10, 20, or 25. Wake up someday discontented with your spouse. And that is just a pattern of your life of discontent. I would say the Lord would tell us the bottom line is really not the balance of our bank accounts, but the attitude of our hearts. It's what's truly in our heart. Here's what Paul wrote to Timothy when he was a young man. But godliness with contentment is great gain. If you can have godliness and be content with what God has given you, you can have great gain. Now, does that mean that you don't keep developing and keep growing and keep striving and keep getting raises? I'm not saying say no to a raise. I'm not saying don't look for better opportunities. I'm just simply saying, don't base your happiness and your love and your place in life on where you happen to find yourself. Contentment with godliness is gain. He says in verse seven, we brought nothing into this world and we'll take nothing out of it. If we have food and clothing, we'll be, uh, we'll be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. Remember what Jesus said? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why? It's not because he's rich. It's because of his heart. The author of Hebrews says this, don't love money, verse chapter 13, don't love money, but be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I'll never fail you. In other words, you don't have to worry about money. If you honor the Lord, if you do it God's way, if you choose God's way, he's gonna take care of all that stuff. Isn't that true? How many of you have found that to be true in your life? There's a testimony, if you struggle with that, there's a testimony all over this church of people that have been faithful to the Lord and watched God be faithful to them. But our entire society is built 
in a way to produce discontentedness. Let me just give you an example. Yesterday, I was scrolling through some Facebook and this really incredible cabinet setting tool came up. (laughs) And I thought, oh, I need that. Now, does Jeff install cabinets? Not very often. (laughs) Have I been thinking about opening a cabinet installation business? Not really. (laughs) Do I have any plans at this moment to remodel my kitchen and install the cabinets myself? No. But that tool was amazing. (laughs) And I thought seriously about buying it. And then the Lord whispered into my heart, be content. Remember what you're preaching tomorrow. Look, pastors get tempted too. I'm just, and I just think our whole society is built on that. And now, you know, isn't it scary that you can have a conversation with your spouse? I don't know. Say about taking another cruise and suddenly on your social media feed, you have all kinds of cruise line opportunities. Isn't that amazing? And a little creepy. (laughs) But that's how our culture's built now, isn't it? It's built to cause us discontentment. It's built to make us think, oh, if I had that cabinet setting tool, I'd be happier. Oh, if I could spend this money and go on this cruise, I'd be, that'd be the, the, you know, all of it, except I still have to come home from the cruise. I found that out two weeks ago. You still have to come home. And there's just this idea that, and I really believe, God, listen to me, I really believe it is the trick of the enemy to keep us so confounded with discontentedness that we don't ever fulfill the work and the call that God has on our life because we're so busy trying to find happiness that we never do the things that will actually bring fulfillment. Don't chase discontentment. Find a way to be content with what you have. You know what I think the promise is? This is not in my notes, but something I think is a promise. If we'll, uh, it is in my notes later on, but this idea, if you'll seek first the kingdom of God. And what does he say? If you'll seek first the kingdom of God, if you'll put as your first priority contentedness in the kingdom of God. God, if I never have another thing. How many of you know if if God never did another thing for you, he's done more than you ever deserved anyway? Right? He's done more, he's given you more, he's done more for you and for me than we we ever deserve anyway. So if he never does another thing, he doesn't owe me anything. But I believe this, if you'll live God's ways, if you'll live with contentment, if you'll use your money, if you'll honor the Lord with your money, God will add all these things to you as well. And I would suggest, Amy and I would say in our lives, that has been true. That has been true. Number two, number one, find contentment. Number two, make your money God's. Now, don't make money, don't make God's out of your money. Don't make God's out of your money. Make your money God's. And, I, and I won't, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because in February, uh, we spent the whole month on a, a sermon series called The Blessed Life. How many of you have already forgotten The Blessed Life? Okay, good. The Blessed Life is an incredible message series by Pastor Robert Morris, who's an incredible communicator. And I would just encourage you, uh, if, if you know, you, you get inspired and you have these moments and we, we put these things in place and we begin to honor God and to do it the right way. It's not all about tithing. It's about lots of different things. And, and then time goes by. How many of you know? Time goes by and then your car breaks down and then, you know, your furnace goes out and just these things happen, right? Life happens. 
And quickly we forget all the principles that we had decided we were gonna live by. And I just wanna take a moment here and remind you of the power of the blessed life, the power of giving the Lord lordship over your money. Solomon says it this way in Proverbs 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part, the best part of everything you produce. Honor the Lord with your wealth. But I think that next phrase is, is the key. He wants the best parts. He doesn't want the leftover parts. He doesn't want the parts where you go, well, you know, this month we had a little bit extra, so we're going to give that to God. He wants the best part, and the best part defined in Scripture is the first part. It's the first fruits. But here's the promise, verse 10. Look at it. Then you'll, you will fill your barns, and your vats will overflow. Now, I can't tell you you'll be like Scrooge McDuck and be able to swim in coins, Okay. <laughs> I can't tell you that. I can tell you the promise is if you honor the Lord with your wealth, if you give him the very best parts of yourself, he'll honor you. He'll, you know, Malachi says he'll open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing that you can't, can't even contain. I, I can't even figure out like, like yesterday, let me, give you, let me give you a good story about Isaac, okay? Because he's taken some heat the last month or so. Let me give you a good story about Isaac. Yesterday, Isaac, he got a chance to mow a lawn and, and make a little bit of money. Walked, he got way overpaid for this lawn, way overpaid for this lawn. But he walks in the house, he got paid 25 bucks. He walks in the house and he goes, Dad, uh, for, he didn't even say hi, he didn't hug me. Dad, you're amazing, I love you. He didn't say anything like that. He just said, Dad, can you break a five? I'm like, what, what do you want me to break? Do you have $2.50? No. Why do you need $2.50? I got a tithe tomorrow. It's his first thought. His first thought was I want to give to God. I love that. I love that. I love that that's his heart. And I, I remember as a, as a young person feeling the same way. And, and when I worked at Olive Garden and I was a busboy and they'd tip you, tip you out. So I always had, I always had you know, cash or whatever. And I would always go home and count my cash and I'd count out my tithe. And I'd make sure that I gave the Lord what he required. Because here's the way I saw it. It wasn't mine. It wasn't mine. It was his. So the wrong question in our lives is this. How much do I have to give? How much do I have to give? The right question is, am I honoring the Lord with what he puts in my hands? See, it's an honor issue, isn't it? It's not, I would say it's an obedience issue, but I'd say above obedience, it's an honor issue. How many of you have children or grandchildren that do what you tell them to do just because you told them to do it and there's no honor in their heart? Just be honest, there's no honor in their heart. Go clean your room. I don't wanna clean my room, but I will because if I don't, I'll get in trouble, right? There's no honor in their heart but they'll obey. How many of you know there's a difference between obedience and honor? When you can connect honor with obedience, now you got something. Now you've got a powerful thing, a powerful truth in the kingdom of God. So just quickly, what is the tithe? Well, a tithe is returning to God the 10% of our increase. Pastor Robert Morris would say that uh, it doesn't belong to you anyway, and you probably shouldn't be walking around with God's money in your pocket. 
Here's a couple of statistics. I just thought these were interesting. There's 247 million Americans who identify as Christian. Now, that's a little, that's a little spicy, right? 247 million Americans identify as a Christian. You know how many, even if they were all saved, you know how many of them tithe? Like actual tithe? 1.5 million out of 247 million actually tithe. Only about 5% of churchgoers actually tithe. Tithers, though, are 40% less likely to have debt. Tithers, over 90% of the time, tithers never file bankruptcy. There's a guy that did some research and he said, uh, if, if all Christians were be, would begin to give a 10% to minim, you know, tithe at the minimum level, Here's what would happen, 25 billion, it'd be $165 billion that would come, and this is just in America, 165 billion would come into the kingdom of God, 25 billion could relieve global hunger and eliminate deaths from preventable disease. The church, listen, the, listen, listen, the church could solve a worldwide problem with a drop in the bucket of the tithe. 15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues. 12 billion could end illiteracy. One, why can't our government do this? Because God hasn't called the government to do it. God has called the church to do this. 12 billion could end illiteracy. 1 billion could fully fund all overseas mission work around the world. We could reach every nation with a drop in the bucket if Christians would be faithful to the commands of God to tithe. 100, and, and look, even with all that, 100 to $110 billion would be left over to do other ministry. Can you even imagine? what the world would be like if Christians would put their money where their mouth is when it comes to the things of God. Man, that's powerful to me. 99.4% of people who file bankruptcy do not tithe. In my experience, this is 20 plus years of ministry, I'll bet you Pastor Ted would say the same thing. I don't know that I've ever found a true tither who complained about money, had serious money problems, didn't know how to get over uh, uh, those things, had financial stress in their life, and had difficulty in their marriage. I don't know that I've ever met one who've honored the Lord, truly honored the Lord with their wealth, honored the Lord with the tithe, honored the Lord with the other things that God wanted, and had those issues in their life. I don't know if I've ever met one, Pastor Ted. Maybe you have, but I, I don't know that I have. Why? Because when we obey God, when we do it God's way, he honors. What's the purpose of tithing? Just really quick. It shows our gratitude. When we tithe, we tell God how thankful we are for him. It shows a proper understanding of stewardship. It, it says to the Lord, I understand that none of this money is mine. It's all yours. Everything that I have has come from you. Number three, it tells it establishes priorities. It makes sure that my priorities are right, that I'm not trying to find my own way. Here's what Billy Graham said about it. If a person gets his attitude towards money straightened out, it will straighten out almost every other area of their life. It's a big deal. And last, I think it's a step of faith, obedience, and investment for your future. It's that God will honor you. God will take care of you. God will help you flourish in this world. That is not why we should tithe, but it is a benefit of what God does for us when we obey him. Lastly, a few practical thoughts about money. 
If you're a married person, I wanna say this to you. Number one, get on the same page. Get on the same page with your money. Amos chapter three says this, can two people walk together if, they're not agree- if they've not agreed on the direction? How can you know what you should be doing financially if you, have not, if you cannot communicate about it and have conversations about it? So husbands and wives, please begin getting on the same page about spending, about the budget, maybe get a budget if you don't have one, about giving, about goals and future plans. And there's this term that I never heard of but I discovered as I worked on this this week, protect your marriage from financial infidelity. As soon as I read it, I knew exactly what it meant. As soon as I read it, protect your marriage. How do you protect your marriage from financial infidelity? Get on the same page about your money. Second practical thought, develop a budget. Everybody say budget. 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 How many of you have a budget? Great. How many of you? Well, never mind. Budget. (laughs) Most budgets will work. If you are willing to do the hard work to deal with your own greed, selfishness, and self-control, you can use your budget. I, I remember when you know Chloe has a budget, Eli has a budget. I don't know if I worked the budget with Gabriel, but it's coming, buddy. Uh, because and here's why: when when my kids were little, Chloe was the person that we'd go on vacation and she'd have you know x amount of dollars to spend, and within the first 20 minutes, it was gone. I'm gonna have that doll, and I'm gonna have that doll, and I want that playset, and it's gone, it's all gone. And as she got older, I, I, I thought, well, that's stupid. Uh, and I said, Chloe, you know, if you spend your money on this, you can't spend it on that. That's like the first budget lesson, right? If you spend your money over here, how many of you know it's more than that? If you spend your time over here, you can't spend it over there. If you spend all your kid's childhood over here, you can't spend it over here. It's a trade-off. You only have a limited supply of money, energy, time, effort, whatever. You have a limited supply. And so you have to decide and recognize if you don't budget all those things, and I would say starting with your money, financially planning your future, if you don't budget, you will spend money on things that you never planned and you will wonder where it went. Dave Ramsey says, tell your money where to go, or you will wonder where it went. Budgets help produce contentment. Budgets help you learn and your your spouse to learn how to be on the same page and communicate about budgeting. Now, I'm not an expert at budgeting. Amy and I have had a budget for most of our marriage, but not all of our marriage. And I just will say, nobody told us. Dave Ramsey was not a thing. When we were young, married, and we got married in 2000, we didn't know, we probably spent the first five, I think the first, I have all of our budgets going all the way back to the very first budget we ever made, and I think it's 2007. So we lived seven years with no budget, and there were many, 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 many months where we wondered where all the money went. It wasn't that much to start with. But if you want to live that way, and I don't just don't see that as honoring the Lord, so you've got to figure out how to budget. Number three, I think it is, number three, Uh, find margin, find margin in your life. The best financial plan is so simple. Live on a margin or you'll find yourself living on a prayer. That was funny. (laughs) I wrote that line. I thought everybody will laugh at that. Nobody laughed. 
If you don't live on margin, if you don't build white space into your life and build white space into your budget, you will find yourself saying, oh God, please help us. You've got to find margin in your life. So how do you do that? Well, 10% is God's. That's, that's, a, that's a no-brainer. 10% is the Lord's. You don't want God's money in your pocket, so I'm going to return that first 10% to the Lord, and then I'm going to take the next 10%, and before I pay all my bills, I'm going to pay myself. And if I can't afford to pay myself that next 10%, I'm going to lower my bills. I'm going to sell my car. I'm going to move. I'm going to reload. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to build some margin in my life. Why? Because you will sleep better at night. You will have greater peace in your life if you can build margin. You will trust the Lord. You'll find it easier to trust the Lord. You'll find it easier to, uh, when something, when your dishwasher dies and you got to go buy a new dishwasher, you won't stress out about it because you have margin. You won't be looking for the credit card with 0% interest because you can pay cash. Dave Ramsey would say, build three to six months of emergency fund, get out of debt and stay out of debt, but you'll have to find margin. How many of you know there's always something that will eat up the money? My kids, the last several years, it's like $200 here and $150 there and $300. I mean, it's just like it just goes out so fast. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) But you know what I found? Because we've built margin, and we've built margin in our life for many, many years now. Many, many years now, Amy and I. And we're not wealthy. We don't have a lot of money. It's not that. But we've built enough margin in our life that when something goes wrong, I don't worry. When the dishwasher dies, I'm not asking the Lord for the dishwasher to die, but when the dishwasher dies, I got 16 hands in my family. (laughs) Find some margin, number whatever. Get, get help. Would you stop trying to float around and figure it out yourself and stop being prideful when it's something that you don't maybe know how to do or understand fully? It's okay. Where's Eli? It's okay to ask for help, son. <laughs> it's okay to say, I don't know how to do that. Or I don't know, I, I'm, it's okay to say I'm afraid because I've never done it before and I think I'll, it's okay. Get help if you need help. Financial Peace University, just about every small group or connect group semester we have here, someone teaches Financial Peace University. If not, it, you can, it's accessible online. Get, do, get some financial counseling if you need help. Some of us, are, we're not geniuses at financial counseling, but some of our pastors are more than happy to sit down with you and try to help you hammer out a budget. Psalm 32.9, don't be like a senseless horse or a mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. Can I just say, don't be a mule? Like with the things in your life, thank you, the things in your life that you don't know how to do, spiritual things, financial things, emotional things, family things, whatever it is, don't be a mule, ask for help. Ask for help. There are people that love you, will help you. Number whatever, become an expert. Become an expert, and here's why. Here's why I want you to become an expert. You guys can play. Here's why I want you to become an expert. Because some of you are dealing with cycles, generational cycles, of poverty, of brokenness, 
of the devourer. You're dealing with cycles and it repeats every generation. Your grandparents had trouble, your parents had trouble, and now you're having trouble. You want your kids to have trouble? Probably not. Guess who has to break that cycle? You. Become an expert, get good at it, be a nerd. Figure out how to do budgets. Figure out how to do it. Be excited about it. Whatever it takes for you. Maturity is essential in this area of our lives. Teach your kids about money and break the cycles that have been there generationally. Last, you can build a great plan. You can have all the pieces in place, step one, two, three, and so on. You can have it all there. You can be on the same page. But if you can't execute the plan, you'll get nowhere. Execute the plan. The last one. Execute the plan. You might be here this morning and you have serious financial pressures. Maybe you need a job. You need a new career. You need a miracle in your finances. You need God to do something crazy for you. Or maybe you need to break generational curses in your life. There's debt and divorce and all kinds of things that have come uh, uh, through generationally in your life. And maybe you're even dealing with some of it yourself. And you need God to help you begin to break that cycle. Or maybe you have a heart condition today. You're struggling to give God lordship over your money, lordship over your life, lordship in these places, and you need him to come and transform you. Whatever you need from God, whatever needs to happen in your life, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell God about it. And then you have to tell your spouse. You have to tell your spouse, I'm afraid. I don't know how to do this. Men, you got to admit, you don't know how to do it if you don't know how to do it. Amen? Don't be prideful. You've got to get help. You've got to get on the same page. That's what I want you to do this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that even your word addresses financial things. God, even in this area of finances, you have a plan for our life. You have a plan to help us, to prosper us, to give us a future and a hope. But Lord, so much of it begins with our heart. Will our heart transform? Will we allow the the things in our heart, Lord, to soften? Will we allow communication to happen in our marriage? Will we begin to break the cycles of poverty and the cycles of brokenness that have plagued our family tree? Lord, I pray right now for every person in this room, whether they have done that already and they're walking in victory or whether they're still muddled in the mess and they're working their way through it. God, I pray your strength, your peace, your power, and your favor upon them in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I want to ask you to stand with me right now. If there was one part of this message that was for you, whatever it was, I want you to take it to the Lord. I want you to take it to your spouse or your parents if you're a young person and ask the Lord to help you. Amen? Amen. Let's break the cycles. Let's live for God. Let's fix our finances. Lord, help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. We're going to sing this song, and then God bless you. Hope you have a great day.